Welcome to What If But Good, a podcast about writing badly until you can write well. I'm your host, Peter Lundquist. I'm your host that laughs too loud, Evan Pugh. And I'm your taller host, Silas Robinson. Each season, the three of us go through the daunting task of attempting to write feature-length screenplays from scratch in just 16 weeks. Will we succeed? Will we fail? Will we give up writing and start making tickle fetish videos? There is only one way to find out. Listen in each week as we battle our writing demons, each other, and the sound of a buzzing refrigerator on... What What if... But good... If you'd like to follow along with our rushed, unfinished pages each week, check us out at whatifbutgood.com and on all socials as whatifbutgood. And we are... What If But Returns. <laughs> <laughs> the previous one was What If But Begins. Yeah. <laughs> what If But Night. Yeah. <laughs> what, what If But Night, night Rises. Mm-hmm. What If But Night Rises, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. What if but forever, guys? <laughs> <laughs> what if but forever? <laughs> uh, so it's it's been almost two months. It's been like it's been like seven weeks. S- seven weeks, yeah, yeah, since our last recording. How is everybody doing? Oh fuck! Uh, <laughs> my beard has grown to indicate the passage of time. Yeah. Uh, I've got a, an extra line around my eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel a little older, a little wiser, and a little sleepier than I did when we recorded last. I have a mysterious scar that implies <laughs> growth. <laughs> yeah. Of yourself as a person, but yourself as a character as well. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, doing all right. So, I mean, all things considered, I think. Yeah. Um, didn't do much writing these past seven weeks, especially on still time. Um, the moment we finished this podcast, I went right back to working on my book. Mm-hmm. And so I was still writing, but I wasn't working on this up until Peter sent a text message like two weeks ago. I was like, we should get back together. Let's get the band back together, man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Go on a reunion tour. And that's kind of when I was like, oh, shit, I got to kick this into overdrive. Because I remember when I, right before that last episode, um, I reread everything without making any edits. And I knew there was a lot of stuff I wanted to change. And then I went back into the same thing. I was like, changes I want to make <laughs> and so I had to like basically start from scratch and, and pull together all the notes from several different places from you guys and kind of get it from there and even still I don't feel like I, I've done the script justice to call it a second draft yet you know yeah I mean I, I don't know that that's necessarily a bad thing mm-hmm. because I, I feel like ideally where the scripts want to be now is good enough to show to other people and get feedback on it's, like yeah. that was something I had to keep stopping myself on is it, like I, I, I took a really long time to make edits on the first half of the screenplay because I kept trying to like make it as good as I want it to be right. eventually and I had to keep stopping myself and saying like that's not actually the goal here like right. It, right. it doesn't need to be perfect I just need it to, to be intelligible enough that I can not, not share it not perfect but presentable exactly yeah. yeah just like me when I go out mm-hmm. exactly <laughs> Hey, I think you're perfect, Evan. In I your know. own special way. Uh, that turns really... There's a dead <laughs> silence of like a tenth of a second where all the information passed between the three of us. Like, what's Peter really getting at here? <laughs> what's he trying to say? Uh, uh, is, is, is it punching down? I don't understand <laughs> what he's doing. Uh, yeah, so for my screenplay, uh, when I sent that text that Evan is talking about, I had not looked at my screenplay in like since we finished in July. 
Um, I had opened it up a couple times. I had looked at the notes a couple times. I had done a bunch of edits to the log line, but uh, I, I just hadn't, I couldn't. I don't know what it was. Like, for me, every screenplay has like a drawer phase where you stick it in a drawer and you don't think about it or write it on it or anything. Um, and I kept telling everyone like, oh yeah, I'm just in the drawer phase. It's, it's, you know, two weeks. Oh, I'm in the drawer phase for a month. I'm in the drawer phase for six weeks. It just, I kept revising that time upwards. And, uh, and then I sent that text and then I was going to try to work on the screenplay for the last like few weekends. But then like I, I went out of town and I had a birthday and I went out of town again and I did all this other stuff. Uh, that I had to focus on during the one weekend that I was in town. And then yesterday morning, I was like, okay, oh, God. <laughs> and then I just frantically tried writing on it. And uh, so I guess this is where we share what our current progress is. Yeah. Uh, when we left off, I had a 93-page screenplay. Now it's 99 pages. Uh, and I, I, those six new pages... Uh, well, it's about five and a half new pages, and then like a deleted half page or whatever. Um, all come from the first two thirds of the movie. Mm. Um, so I haven't touched the last act and change because the third act was pretty short. So like the last act and a, a third or so, I haven't touched. Uh, but I I hope to be able to do them very soon. But I'm sixty five out of ninety nine pages right now, and that's where I'm at. Um, I'm in a similar spot. Uh, I, for me, the, the progress I've been making has been more punctuated, where it's like, there'll be a weekend where I like, get a ton done, and then nothing for three weeks, and then another, a job where I'm really, really bored, and I make edits on my phone, and then I get nothing done. And um, So right now, I have the, I changed, the first thing I wanted to do was change the ending, and get that where I want it to be, and so I have that. And then I went back and, and worked through chronologically. I, I should say, before I did any of that, I, I made a list of all of the specific changes that I want to make. Some of them are like, remove reference to interlock on page 93. And some of them are like, change this whole sequence <laughs> from the ground up. Yeah, make uh, it good. Change this character's motivation. Um, uh, and sort of once I had that list and, and got the ending so it, I think, meant a little more, I started at the beginning and just have been going through page by page. Um, I have made it up to the, like, upper 50s from the beginning. Um, the total length of the screenplay has dropped from 121 to 107. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's we, a lot of... We make, we make and cuts. Yeah. We make and cuts. I'm almost, I'm, like, disappointed. I just wanted all of your ideas. Like, well, see, but here's the thing. I don't think you're, I don't think you're going to be reading it and you're going to notice like, oh man, like 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 I think what you're picturing is like we got rid of the manor. <laughs> this guy decided I don't need it. That's not what happened. What happened is like so many scenes that were three pages are now one page. Oh, There's just a lot of like trimming of the fat. A lot of, of trimming of the fat. Yeah. Um, so I I have gotten up to the ice cave and. That's by far the biggest change. Uh, the ice cave is... is it, 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 like, I don't know that there are any scenes in it that I can really keep. I can, like, reuse... I'm, I'm reusing a lot of imagery and stuff, but, like, I, I just sort of have to start over with that. Um, 
once I have that done, I think the rest goes pretty quick, but that's where I'm at. Okay. And what did we discover during this process? You didn't say what your, your progress is. Oh, my progress? None. Nothing whatsoever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, my progress is um, I made it all the way through the, the pages that I had, and I added about five or six-ish, because I went from 77 to 83, and I don't um, yeah, six. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Nailed it. First try. Nailed it. That may or may not include the title page. So, <laughs> did you add a title page? Not. In, I don't think it counts it in the document. Mm. So, or at least in the fade in document. But um, I'm not happy with the way that it ends anymore. And I wasn't able to touch that yet. Mm -hmm. um, but I was able to go back through and poke around and add some stuff and change some stuff. But at the same time, there's huge swaths of the screenplay that I didn't touch. So I don't know if that's because they're okay or if, like, I was just rushing. Right. You know, so it's like I, I want to go back and I want to do another read-through and make sure it's like, is this actually okay or were you just, like, hauling ass through it, you know, hauling ass and half-assing it. So that's kind of where I'm at just in terms of, like, you know, I, I, I had a script ready to show you guys, but at the same time I didn't have a script ready to show everyone. Right. You know. Podcasters only. Yeah. <laughs> Exclusive. <laughs> Worldwide exclusive. Yeah. So what what did people discover? Um, I discovered that uh, Rebecca and Steve need to interact a whole lot more. Um, uh, I added at least one scene of that already. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like there needs to be a little bit more build-up between the two of them. And along with that, there's just a, a, a few more loose ends that I wanted. Because um, I wanted some loose ends, and I wanted some like playing around with the, the one-shot characters kind of thing. But I feel like there's some other stuff that needs to be addressed a couple times. Um, and I discovered that I don't like the ending. You know, I don't like how it ends. I want there to be more in do, some way. Do you know in particular, like, what about the ending you're not feeling? I mostly just want to see Steve and Rebecca together like that. Right. Not not just have it be that, that exterior shot anymore, but actually have a scene between them. Right. Um, because I feel like I addressed everything else pretty well, like, with Lena, or not even with Lena and Cosmo, because they don't interact any at all with the, in that post-five-months thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like I was able to express enough change, but not so much that it's significant and needs to be more significant. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Peter, what about you? Uh, not to my surprise... I underwrote the women characters. In my <laughs> uh, that's just something I gotta work on. I, I I know we talked about it in the last episode. How I did like the gender highlighting in the screenplay uh, app that I use, and it said it was like sixty forty. Mm -hmm. Now it's like fifty eight forty two or something. But it's there's just just a lot that needed work. Uh, like I, one thing that I talked about continually was adding. Uh, a scene for Sammy in the first act that kind of explains what she's up to in between being the object of Greg's discovery and uh, and just being a complete mystery. Uh, I said that backwards. Between being a complete mystery and being the object of Greg's discovery. Right. Like, what is her motivation? What does she care about? Why is she doing what she's doing? So I added that scene, and then I looked at the Sammy-Judy scene, Judy the therapist, and I realized um, that I ended both of them like too quickly and also didn't really give the game of either scene as well as I wanted to 
Uh, and that was a note that you guys had given me on the first scene especially, which was that uh, there needs to be the game between Sammy wants information, Judy wants to give Sammy therapy. Uh, and that just wasn't in there at all. And to, to really put it in there, I had to make the scene a good bit longer. But uh, the, my process for doing this was a, a few days ago, I read through the entire screenplay and read through all the notes um, that uh, I had taken based on your feedback, both of your feedback. It's, it's wild, isn't it? To like yeah. <laughs> all of the notes for the whole screenplay pretty much unimplemented. Yeah. yeah. And, and then yeah. you go into the document and then you're like, oh, I, that, that line doesn't make sense. Oh, I have to... I don't know why I wrote in passive voice in the description there, and then I uh -huh. just, I call it, uh, like, well, I'm not going to use the word that I <laughs> use because it's, it's really sounds like something else, but uh, just messing around with the lengths of the lines of the, messing around with the, the individual uh, words in each line of description or dialogue or whatever. You, you fucked around with it. I fucked around with it, yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, we're, this is a good edit point. What, what do you call it, Peter? <laughs> Okay, and we're back. <laughs> and we're back. <laughs> uh, I had to satisfy the voice curiosity for my horrible award choice. Um, and uh, just some other stuff that, like, when I that I could tell was rushed the first time around that I didn't like. You know, just like the the scene where Greg is interviewing the personal trainers uh, is I, I was trying to keep it as short as possible, and that meant that like none of the trainers really had much character. It was just like joke after joke, but the you can't really write a screenplay that way. There just has to be rhythm to it where it's right. like a joke and then a setup and then a punchline, whatever. And uh, so I, I wrote some stuff in there that expands it. But just like throughout, there, there's not a page that doesn't have edits. Right. Wow. In, in like the 65, okay. 64, 65 pages that I, that I wrote. Um, no, I unacceptable. <laughs> For those of you listening at home, Evan's phone was not on silent. It has mm -hmm. made a notification. The podcast is ruined. It's, it's over, guys. <laughs> so that's basically the progress I made was just like going through and just being angry at my past self for doing things wrong. <laughs> Sounds productive and healthy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, I, I'm overstating it, but uh, just going like, just little turns of phrase and uh -huh. scenes that don't end, that I, I just picked an arbitrary button to end it on and I was like, right. I don't want to keep writing mm -hmm. this scene, so I'm just going to end it here. Uh, like a, a great example is... Uh, um, there's the scene where um, Sammy and Judy have their second therapy session, and then Judy ends it. Uh, Sammy says, like, an aggressive bug could wipe out humankind. And then Judy says, one already has, and she's pointing at her, at her head, uh, and it's glowing blue with a worm. Um, I realize that that's a cool way to end that scene, but it's not the way to end that scene that makes sense for the story. And so now there's two more lines, which is Sammy stares Judy down and says, not completely. Like, the world, the human race is not extinguished while mm -hmm. I still walk yeah, and breathe, right. you know. And uh, it's not, maybe not as impactful, but it tells the story better, I yeah. think, of, like, what Sammy's, like, why Sammy came into this scene yeah. and what her motivation is going forward. Right. I mean, the, the bottom line is that you, you change day-to-day -day as a writer in terms of, like, what you think sounds good in your own work. And so the fact that, like, you, you change the little things on every page makes sense, because it's like... That doesn't work anymore. <laughs> yeah. you know? and, and also just, you know, the, the context is completely different when you're writing something for the first time oh. than when you're editing. And, and that sort of sense of, like, the progression and the flow of, like, you just don't have access to that when you're writing for the first Especially time. Especially not when you're writing in such a wave of panic as you were the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Where you're just like, keep going, yeah. don't look back. Yeah. And I think yeah. that was what was so interesting about that. It was just like, yeah, 
yeah, I think that was part of the discovery too. Was just, oh my god, he wrote in such a flurry, you know. Yeah, but I yeah I, I mean, and I, I don't know I, I I think I think that's valuable. I think that yeah. I think that if left to our own like without that pressure, it, at least for me, it just wouldn't have happened. Yeah. Yeah. A friend of mine uh, called me recently. Uh, a friend of mine who knew about this project, and he said something along the lines of, "I'm not gonna." spoke words in his mouth or anything, but he said something along the lines of, like, what was it that, like, propelled you to do this, and how were you able to finish? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, first of all, it's not finished. (laughs) (laughs) Second of all, like, uh, if I didn't have the regular accountability of, you know, meeting with you guys and knowing that pages had to be done or else I would, like, feel bad for letting you guys down, Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if I would have been able to do it. And my friend, who I talked to... uh, travels a lot and uh you know does a lot of work in different cities and stuff and can't necessarily meet with people every week and it's just not really an option for him and he's like so what what should i do and i was like i don't know (laughs) (laughs) reddit (laughs) fucking reddit that's all i can recommend (laughs) yeah i really we've essentially simulated the experience of working for uh, like a, a, a ball-breaking stu- story producer at a major <laughs> studio where it's like, all right, I need those pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more yeah. or less. We haven't heard from you in a week. <laughs> we're, we're paying you a thousand a week for this. Well, for buckets. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so what about you, Silas? What did you discover? Um, what specific changes did you make also? Yeah. Um, so the sort of reading through from, from front to back, the, there were lots and lots of little things um, that I wanted to change. The, I mean, I, I'm like, okay, I'm not doing interlocks anymore. <laughs> I, yeah. I discovered that in Act One, that so I have to go through the rest of the screenplay and get rid of all that stuff. But the like, other than, I mean, that's essentially an aesthetic change. Like, yeah. uh, you know, I, 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 I never have to change more than like a line of dialogue to accommodate that. Um, in any given scene, the the three big things that I felt like I had to figure out were you guys gave me the note um, about Flora and Xavier's relationship and how that sort of gets set up in this really tantalizing way in Act 3 that doesn't, or in Act 1 that doesn't pay off in Act 3. And I, I thought that was a really good note. So I had to figure out, like, okay, what, what exactly happened with them? I need, I need to know what that backstory is so that I can, I can reveal it in some way. Um, the second thing was... You know, I, I, the other big, big change that I wanted to make was that it's, again, something I discovered in Act One. Victoria is way more interesting as someone who is regretful about, like, her, her you know, something that she did in her past as a renderer than she is as, like, oh, I wanted to be a mom. <laughs> so the big question was, okay, what's Victoria's new backstory? What, yeah. what happened? Okay. Um, What's, what's her new statue, so to speak? Exactly. Yeah, Very yeah, yeah, specifically, yeah. what is her new statue? Yeah. Um, and then the third thing was, uh, I did, in, in my like third rework of the ice cave, which is what you guys saw, I, I came up with this idea of, of the Lorelei character, like the dark flora. And that was something I discovered in the writing that was not part of the original outline. And I think that's really compelling. I like that a lot. And I was like, okay, that has to fit. That can't just be like a little one-off. A little one-off. Like that fit has to fit into out. the ending in some way. Yeah. And so my, my, my third question was like, how are we going to incorporate Lorelai into Act 3? 
um, in a way that feels like it's a payoff. Um, is it going to be a chase? It's <laughs> it's going to be a dance off. Oh really? No, it's <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> you had us in the first yeah, half. Not gonna us. lie. Yeah. I'm I'm exceptionally gullible. Um, I can think of the way that I would do it, and it would just be Lorelai. I was chasing her the whole time, but I don't think that's the way that you want to do it, or that's interesting to you. It isn't. Um, it's a bad idea. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no. Um, well, I'm saying it's first thought. Kind of. Right, right, right. No, uh, that's, that's uh, it's a good idea, but it is not what I went with. Um, so the, the, I guess to kind of just go through um, in order, what I, with Flora and Xavier, what I think happened is that we know that Xavier was working for her on a project, and I think that what happened was she was so precious with her vision, and she was so, uh, like, particular that he ended up quitting hmm. because he was like, I, I can't, I can't do this. This is, this is wild. Like, I haven't slept in three days. Like, and so she thinks that he, like betrayed her and abandoned her and and he is like no you you were like incredibly mean to me and mm. so I, that was kind of fun i didn't have to make that big of an adjustment in act one to accommodate that change but i i love i love it when when people think that they're talking about two di like the same yeah. thing but they're actually talking about two it's different things and, exa like, exactly exactly a different way no right uh in, in boomhauer's version <laughs> he speaks clearly um uh yeah so so that that just felt like a good thing where she sort of believes that he owes her an apology and he's like no dude you owe me an apology like you you anyway yeah um so for the for the um i'll jump ahead to the for the lorelei thing i really really liked the whole thing of her creating all the different copies of herself and i think that works really well and then she goes into the temple and just sort of nothing happens. She just, she, you know, like I think you even made a comment, Peter, where you were like, so there is no secret. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there was no puzzle to solve. She just kind of goes in and that's it. Um, and so I, I feel like, I mean, Lorelai is a copy of Flora. She is yeah. another version. I was like, okay, I, I can use something with that. And the whole scene at, in the ice cave where, like the young version of Flora, like reconciles with the dark version of Flora. I was like that. That I think is much more valuable in Act Three than it hmm. is at the end of Act Two. Yeah, um, that's a big change. It is a big change. Yeah. Um, and and the way that that's going to affect the Ice Cave is that Lorelai basically wins, except that right at the end, Victoria is going to like dive in front of the bullet. Right. How, however, that happens where they they don't have this big cathartic moment where they beat Lorelai in the Ice Cave. She's cl still clearly out there. Um, and I also am going to make it a reveal that Lorelai is a copy of Flora. I think that when they're in the ice cave, she's just going to be this dark, shadowy figure. And, and the thing that Victoria is going to do to, like, beat her is she's going to shine a light. And, hmm. and when, when Lorelai is, like, lifted out of the darkness and, and she can't sort of hide in the shadows anymore, it's like, oh, wait, it's just Flora. And that's going to be, like, a question mark that we end Act 2 with. Is like, why is there another Flora? Why is Who there is another character? Why is there another Flora? Why is the other Flora trying to hurt Big Flora, yeah. um, Main Flora? Uh, is that what you, is it Big Flora in your script notes? It's not Big Flora okay. in my script notes. But, uh, uh, in the liner notes. <laughs> um, so, and and it's going to be clear that 
like instead of dying or blowing up or whatever she did, she's she's gonna like like slink away. Like like the light shines on her, she goes and then she she you know. So as all of the different iterations of the floras are going up against the darkness, instead of they are like coming up with monsters that are gonna like beat the darkness, I think I, I'm gonna make it so that they're trying to shape the darkness into something. Because what they're doing is they're, they're trying to end the story. They're trying to figure out, okay, what happens next? And the, the, you know, the, the obstacle in their way is literally a big blank thing. Right. And it's Orpheum, it's unrendered Orpheum. It's like, okay, you, you gotta finish the story. And so they're trying to come up with things and, and what ends up happening is they always end up getting swallowed by the darkness. They just kind of disappear into it. And then the final Flora, I think her name is Hazel, is going to, uh, I think, like it's like shine a light or something. I, I wrote this a while ago. Um, but she, she just, instead of trying to like shape it, she just goes into the darkness and she finds Lorelei. Hmm. And at this point, Lorelai is like, she's like really weak and she's really like starved because, you know, Lorelai wants Flora to hate herself. And with all of these generations of Floras, they've like sucked it out they, of her. Yeah, they've become more and more supportive. Like yeah. they, they, yeah. they are sort of grown to love each other and oh. therefore themselves. And so she, she finds Lorelai in the darkness and Lorelai's like, you're not, you're not going to, you can't do it. I'm always going to outlast you. You can't beat me. And she's like, okay, well, you know, come with me. And just the two of them walk into the darkness together. Hmm. And it mirrors that first scene at the beginning of act two, where they're, they're floating in the darkness. They kind of return to that place. And, uh, instead of it, it being like that they destroy Lorelai, it's that they, they, the thing that she does, which allows her to finish the story is she, uh, sort of makes peace with Lorelai, and she forces Lorelai to make peace with her. Um, and I genuinely do not remember what I wrote that that accomplishes <laughs> but that. It's, but it's that's, in the, there. It's, that's the goal. that's the yeah. idea. Um, it's a little Kingdom Hearts. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I like it. It's 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 the natural way for that story to go. I think that's cool because um, it, yeah. the whole thing is is like about accepting yourself and your progress and your flaws and all that, uh, and just beating your flaws with a stick isn't the way to fix your flaws, right. you know? Yeah. It's accepting uh, them. Right. Yeah. And using face wash. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, moisturizing, moisturizing above all else. Yeah, moisturizing, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for the dice cave, I made a... It's different. <laughs> I could tell you about it if you want, but I've been talking for a while. So do you guys want to talk about at all um, what... Things that we discovered in the writing process but things that we discovered outside of the writing process in the last two months or whatever. Just like, what, okay, I'm, I'm leading right here with the question, but um, for me, I, uh, I, when I started writing the screenplay, I was just like, yeah, whatever, I'll write a screenplay, that's fun to do. And I didn't really have uh, an end goal, and I didn't really have um, like a, much identification with the script. It was just I wanted to have a creative project to do. Right. And um, since then, I've come to accept more what writing means to me and why I do it. Yeah. Um, I think I mentioned just in even in the very first episode that I write professionally, not creatively. Mm -hmm. That was what I said. Yep. Uh, like within the first couple minutes of us being introduced. <laughs> um, and that's 
still kind of true, but I, I can write professionally not for creative purposes and write creatively not for professional purposes, and those two things don't have to be diametric opposites. They don't have to occupy different parts of my brain and, uh, like, I have to do one or the other or, or you know, I have to be creative and they're, professional. They're not mutually exclusive. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. And I've, I've just kind of come more to terms with the, the fact that it's okay if I don't write creatively for my profession. Yeah. Um, and another thing, and this is going to sound kind of stupid, but... Uh, Evan, I will be the judge of that. <laughs> <laughs> Evan knows this already, but in the last couple weeks... Uh, I started working out, yeah. and I didn't at all for the first, like, the entire time that we were working on the screenplay, even though the screenplay is about self-improvement and choice, you know, and all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I feel like um, getting into a routine of exercising regularly is increasing not just physical whatever capability to do stuff, but also just the, the discipline of being able to do that and being able to write. It's just um, kind of growing, growing discipline and cultivating discipline in one area cultivates discipline in other areas as well. And uh, I go to bed. One reason that this was hard for me to do in the last couple of weeks is that I go to bed very early now because the only time I can go to the gym is before work. So I get up at five in the morning, which I never used to do. I never used to get up at five in the morning, but now I do. And uh, that means that I get home and have dinner and then have about an hour and a half of consciousness before I pass out. If that. If that. Yeah, I have enough. Um, and uh, so I think it's making things more difficult for me in the short term, but in the long term it's just going to, you know, make me a better writer and overall healthier mentally and physically as a person. Um, I just thought it was important to share that with you guys. Yeah. You know, because it's, it's such a big part of the script, and if I left it out, it would feel like I'm holding something back, you know? Yeah, that's really cool. I, I know what you mean when, when you're talking about sort of realizing what place in your life writing takes. And, um, yeah, I, I, this, this has cemented something for me which I've, I've sort of suspected for a long time, which is that writing is just incredibly good for me. Yeah. And, like, if I write and consistently and it lives in a folder on my computer and I show it to my friends that already checks a really, really valuable box in my life. Yeah. And, like, it, like, I don't know that I would enjoy this more if I was getting paid to do it because it just feels so cathartic to write and it feels so... Uh, it just feels so gratifying to have to be thinking of stuff and coming up with ideas and weaving it together and, and building something and then like just having a thing at the end that I can yeah, I can yeah. show people and say like this represents me in some way this has my ideas in it like yeah. that just is so valuable and I'm so much happier when I'm doing that uh, and it also like like I mean you, you, you correlated it to the discipline of exercise I think that in a way, scheduling time in my week to just do something, just do something that makes me feel really happy, is like really cool. It's yeah. it's not something that I normally do. Yeah. And it's been really, really great. Yeah. Yeah. It's like doing yoga for your brain. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think this conversation taps into what I was talking about earlier with the, the whole 
badass existential crisis I've been having. It's just like, why am I writing? You know, if not for others, and is it for myself? And if it's for myself, then fucking why? You know, and I, I think what it boils down to is that it helps me not go fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, but a lot of the like I've spent my entire life thinking I was going to be like a, a famous, successful something or other, and that always involved writing in some way. And I've spent nine years now since 2010 since they broke up with an ex-girlfriend who I couldn't write around because I always thought she was reading my shit and would like open my journal and read my fucking journal and I couldn't fucking write anymore because Jesus Christ, she's reading everything right. mm-hmm. behind my back, which is not nice. Um, but ever since she and I broke up, I've written consistently and it's kind of fallen by the wayside a lot lately and it's just kind of like, who am I writing for? Why am I writing? And what is the end game? You know, what is the end goal? Um, and so I, I honestly, a lot of the time that I spent, that I spent writing, that I was supposed to be working on still time, I spent working on myself. Right. In that sense of like, why am I writing? Why do I want to continue to write? Do I want to continue to write? And, and, and the, the bottom line is that every time I ask myself that question of do I want to continue to write, the answer was always yes. But it was never in a, an affirmative yes. It was always yes, but. Yeah. Yes, but. Um. So I had my answer, but it was always qualified. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think still I'm dealing with that, that, that those qualifiers of it. It's like there, there's a lot less motivation for me when I'm writing for myself. When it's like writing Awakeners so I have a script that I can present to others when, like, when the opportunity arises or writing any sort of script so that I have that opportunity when it arises um, versus writing Wings Wouldn't Help You, which is just a book that I'm writing for fun. And it's taking forever. You know, it's, it's the fact that it's like it's taken three years to get to the fourth draft, but at the same time, I've written three full drafts of a novel. Right. Um, and yet I can't feel proud about that. What the fuck is wrong with me? You know what I mean? It's just like, so I've been dealing with a lot of just existential bullshit when it comes to writing. And, and it's like, yes, I need to write, but, <laughs> and that's kind of where I'm at. It's just kind of like wrestling with that. Well, here's a question for you, because you, you mentioned the that your vision of yourself as a writer has always included being famous and successful at yeah. something, which uh, I can relate to. Like, I, a lot of my motivation to write in the past has been I, I want lots and lots and lots of people to read this someday. Right. Or to see it someday. Yeah. Um, I feel like my ideas are compelling, and let's, let's prove it. Yeah. Um, for me, I, I mentioned this in the first episode, that the, the first really successful writing project I did was Star Wars fan fiction. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I have found personally is that once I'm working on something where that element, that kind of narrative is taken away of, of me being a writer, yeah. a famous, successful, whatever, yeah. and it's just... Writing I'm, in a vacuum. I'm just writing this because it's fun and I right. like thinking about the characters or, or you know yeah. I've found that I have such an easier time yeah. writing and just the, because the pressure feels less and and it just doesn't like like who cares if I write something stupid yeah. if it's I'm not going to be showing this to some person I've never met before yeah and I the, the other weird thing about it is that when you shut that down and write for, only for yourself it feels a lot less productive you know mm-hmm. and then it becomes guilt over how you're spending your as well right it's just like i'm not being productive you know i'm not being productive what, what, what am i doing in my life if i'm not being productive at all times and it's just it makes it harder when it's like yeah but you're still being productive for yourself and you're still working on yourself and you're still building on those things a a 
enormous challenge <laughs> to those living under capitalism yeah. is finding a way to value time that is not monetized. It's true. It's a big challenge. Yeah. But it's really important. Because Man, I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> you got the I American have, guilt. Right, what's yeah, what's the point in owning a car if nobody's paying me to drive it? <laughs> <laughs> I've got some serious American guilt, man. Um, or if I'm not driving to work, that kind of thing. There, uh... There's a, a quote that I think about a lot, which was in a Reddit AMA with uh, Community and Rick and Morty creator Dan Harmon, where one of the questions was, uh, how do I make the darkness go away? Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a heavy question. It's a heavy question for Reddit AMA. And the answer that he gave to that was, um, imagine, he, he said, write about it. Yeah. And imagine that you're going to die if you can't make someone else understand what you feel. Yeah. Huh. I think about that a lot as just one of the values in writing is just it it just untangling the rope. Like like, you know, taking whatever the monkey is chattering about and just making it into something that makes sense. Yeah, I got two things for you guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is um, D's nuts. D's nuts. <laughs> no, that's not. No, I would have three things for you guys. <laughs> D's nuts are two things. Uh, that was very punctuating uh, between like the dark stuff yeah. and the dark about. But uh, I've I've referenced Kurt Vonnegut's rules for writing a few times, and I don't know if I've referenced this particular one. But rule number seven is um, write to please just one person. If you open a window and make love to the world, so to speak, your story will get pneumonia. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that's great on its own, but another thing to know is that Kurt Vonnegut often said that he wrote, the one person that he wrote to make happy or make interested was his sister. Interesting. And his, his sister died while he was a, a, at the height of his creative and professional success. Um, and he still would just write stories, not necessarily for himself or for an audience. He would write something that his sister would like. Huh. And uh, I, depending on which project or even which sentence I'm on, I always have a person in mind mm. of like, would X or Y or Z like this? Yeah. It's not always the same person, but uh, it's always a person. It's never like, will people laugh at this in the theater? Right, right. It's, if someone reads this, will they like it? It's well, if if this particular person reads it, will they like it? I think that's really good advice. Yeah. And another thing, that's just you know going off of what you were talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another thing in reference to that Dan Harmon bit was um, I used to uh, perform slam poetry in college. Nice. Uh, I don't know if, if you ever even knew that about me, Evan. But, Not really, no. Yeah. I, uh, I knew that about you. Yeah, well, you were there. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I used to do slam poetry in college, and. Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I got about performing it, not necessarily writing it, was um, you have three minutes to get through this poem. Perform as if at the end of those three minutes you will walk off stage and someone will shoot you in the head. <laughs> Which is brutal, but it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's like and, and there's nothing you can do to stop or change it. Right. This has to be your final greatest performance. Um, and uh, I, I think it just ties into what Dan Harmon was talking about where it's just like you know technically any story could be your last you don't know right yeah. so it's that, not that's why that, we get high because <laughs> <laughs> you never know when, when you're gonna, gonna go, go. <laughs> uh, yeah um, that's a that's 
Nas? That's Nas. That's, that's the, Nas. the Illmatic. Life's a bitch. Yeah. Life's a bitch, yeah. I'm sorry. I, yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, so the the pressure, it's like, it's, it's about how you perceive that pressure. Because you can perceive it to be like, oh, God, what am I going to do if I can't get through this performance? Uh, or if I can't get through the screenplay or whatever I'm doing. Um, but on the other hand, it's like, if you accept that outcome, and you're like, all right, it's going to happen no matter what, uh, I might as well just do the best that I can knowing right. that this is happening anyways. Um, and I, I always thought that was uh, interesting and valuable. Yeah. It, you know, I, I don't often think, like, return to that when I'm writing. Uh, I don't think, like, you know, as soon as I turn in the next draft, someone's going to chop off my hands or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I had to dictate everything from here on out. But uh, honestly, like, I don't think I've really talked about this on, uh, on, on the podcast, but uh, I think you guys both n- knew that I had serious risk problems for yeah. a while. I didn't know if I'd be able to write again um, or write continuously. And uh, I, since then, I've got braces and I've adjusted a few things that I do and I have an ergonomic keyboard and stuff. But um, there's always that threat that, like, I won't be able to do exactly what I want to do in the future. So just kind of make the most of what I have in the present. That's why it's called the present, guys, because it's a gift. Right. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. That's real. Sweet. Um, so I guess follow up to all this, uh, plans for the future. Um, I, and, and I guess I mean I, and then God laughed to be to be uh, to be more specific um, I mean I know I imagine all, all of us want or those of us who are not done want to be done as quickly as possible uh, do you guys already know who you're going to send this to when you share it no I have a list and then I might open it up past that list depending on yeah. how it goes you guys <laughs> <laughs> I've already read it <laughs> um yeah, I, I've sort of been going back and forth between kind of going in little concentric circles wider and wider and just trying to get as much feedback as I possibly can. Like, sometimes I'll be like, okay, well, let me choose like five people and I'm gonna send it to them and wait to hear back and make edits and then I'll choose like maybe some more people and and then I've all, like, I don't know, I should probably do that. There's part of me which is like, you should just hear from as many people as you possibly can. No, because I, I feel like it should be kind of phasic. You know, where it's like happens, where you, you, you do it to five people, and then you do it to another five people with what they, the first five people have given you, and then you keep working at it from there. Mm-hmm. Instead I, of just doing a scattershot where you get a shitload of feedback back and you can't really tell what's noise and what's necessary, you know? And stuff is going to contradict if you have six people reading it at once. You know? yeah. yeah. I guess what, what seems valuable to me is seeing trends more than, because I'm, I'm just not going to do every piece of advice that everyone gives me. Um, and part of that is just going to be my gut, like, eh, I don't want <laughs> But another, another thing which I think is valuable is, like, if I show this to 20 people and 12 of them say, we hate Margot, we really don't like Margot. Yeah, you're kind of looking for a data set. At this right. Point. Yeah. It's, it's more so than, like, hey, person, tell me how to fix this. I, I, I sort of want to – and you know what? I think since this is a first draft, I should – choose like people whose opinions I really really value for this next one and like people I really trust people who I know know what a first draft looks like because yeah. <laughs> that's a huge thing like yeah. uh, there's people who I, I'm really excited to show this to who I, I feel confident have never read a first draft of anything 
and I don't think they would necessarily get if there's bad if there's really stinky lines of dialogue in here that does not necessarily mean it doesn't feel finished well that's the whole fucking book that's that's why you're reading it Um, so you know finding those people and and I feel feel like once I have implemented those changes maybe at that point it's like like post on Facebook does anyone want to read my screenplay feel free to give me comments like and just take in as much as I possibly can and I guess that's a question like like What's what's your guys' image of the largest number of people who are going to see this? Like six. I, it really depends on how much I open it up because I, I'm thinking that like, because my plan basically was just going to be to like send it to a couple people who have expressed interest already and know that I've been working on this thing for a while, uh, and and not send it to people right away who. You know, I just want to read it. Mm-hmm. But to specifically to people who already know, who've talked to me about it, who I've been back and forth with it on, and then getting like maybe one or two more drafts based on that, and um, and then just kind of blasting it out, you know, like to whoever is going to take it, like and maybe not even accepting some, their, not even asking for feedback from some of them, just being like, hey, if you want to read it, I thought this was fun. Here's a thing for you to read. Give me notes or not, I don't care. And when you say blast it out, are you picturing an email, Facebook, a Reddit post? Email and Facebook. I don't know about anything really Reddit. like public to people I don't know. Yeah. But email and Facebook and maybe Twitter. I mean, that, the, the problem that I have is that I don't really have many people. Like, there, there's maybe like two or three other people. Like, I'm not going to send this to my family. They don't really read screen plays. They don't read that shit. Right. That I write. Um, like there, there's one other dude. That's about it. You know? It's just like... <laughs> I don't know. There's kind of like an insular world that I live in, and like mm-hmm. half of the people that I talk to are in this fucking podcast that I send it to. So it's just right. like, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I don't know. Maybe I will post it on Reddit, post it on Blacklist, see what happens, you know? But at the same time, I don't really know where to go for any more feedback beyond this either. So it's like. Well, I mean, here's a philosophical question. If any of the three of us do not end this by making the screenplay public in some way, why not? What is the reasoning to keep it private after we're done with it? That's a good point. Uh, I think I would want to get it WGA registered first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are you? Are you? Do you have to be in the WGA? No. No. Okay. You just pay twenty bucks. Okay. Twenty-five bucks, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. I would want to get a guild registered and then just send it to some folks and just be like, and if I make it public, it's just a question of like, who who could I possibly get to give a shit about it? Right. You know, like yeah. what what log line? Like if if you're not paying someone. Yeah. to read it and then like why would anyone read a stranger's screenplay yeah. other than if there's like a absolutely killer reason to do it like mm-hmm. yeah this guy later went on to make x y or z or like oh this was his first project before he did this you know mm-hmm. uh, but it's like you gotta do those other fucking projects first <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> like people wanna read the unproduced Nicolas Cage Superman yeah th- because Nicolas Cage Superman unproduced right People don't probably won't give a shit about "Can't Get You Out of My Head" because unless they really love Kylie Minogue and they, <laughs> wanna, they see something that is, has a uh, no affiliation with her whatsoever. Yeah. And it, what's what's your thought process? My thinking is a, a huge part of the reason I'm doing this at all is to make myself more comfortable with the idea of. I mean, the, the thing which has always been stopping me from writing is fear of 
criticism, fear of not doing a good job. Mm. And, you know, a big part of the reason I wanted to start this podcast was to, like, just normalize doing stuff. Uh, like, it doesn't actually, like, like, okay, it doesn't matter if it's good. You have to have something by Sunday. Right, normalizing criticism, almost. Normal, right. Yeah, normalizing. Every, every week you came to some two people that had feedback for you. And you're like, oh, no, I wasn't perfect. Right, <laughs> exactly. And if I make this public and no one gives a shit and no one reads it, that is pretty much exactly the same functionally as keeping it private. If it's sitting in some open forum, unread, yeah. then the world is exactly the same as if it is sitting on my desktop, unread. The only difference is psychologically for myself, I know anyone who wants to read this can. And I am opening myself up to whatever any person, like there's an open comment section at the bottom. People I don't like could find it (laughs) and read it. And, And are welcome to speak up if they hate it. For me, for me, that is the benefit of just, like, I sort of feel like, yeah, I, I just, I just, I want to I wanna make myself go through the mental uh, hoop of saying anyone can read this hmm. who wants to, uh, face whatever the consequences for that are. Probably no one reads it, but, but that's the same as not showing it. You know, Bo Burnham, the famed comedian, writer, director, uh, actor, many of multi-hyphenate, started his career on YouTube, as we probably all know. Um, But uh, he, uh, I remember he was on, like, Paul Provence's Green Room or WTF with Mark Maron or some thing with a bunch of established comedians. And uh, he was asked, like, uh, do you ever feel like you, you know you didn't earn it or you earned it differently than the comedians who went through the traditional stand-up thing of grinding in clubs and open mics for years. And he said, like, I was posting videos to the world when I was 16 or whatever. And that is different, but it's this, it's it's also a horrible grind. <laughs> like, it's yeah. it's not the same as what you guys went through, but it's it sucks. Like, I, I can't remember where he said this, and I, I'm just paraphrasing, obviously, but... He talked about how his first YouTube comment was just like a homophobic slur. And he was like 16 years old, people just posting this stuff about him on a tiny website that would later become YouTube, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think I get where you're coming from, where there's definitely a value to, like, not holding anything back. Yeah. Um, and and this is, this is a... Uh... My ride's here. <laughs> I wrote that joke. <laughs> um, uh, the... Uh... This, this is a challenge of mine. Like, I, I play the violin, and I never perform. I, I write a lot, and maybe four people have ever read what I've written. Like, uh, I make stuff, and then I don't show it to people. And I, 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 think, it, I, think, it's, I think that's... I think that fear of showing... I know that I'm afraid of showing it to people, and I think that's preventing me from doing a lot of stuff that I want to do. Hmm. I've never been afraid of showing my stuff to other people. Just because I know it's always open to getting better, mm-hmm. um, but this is the first time where I have no like desire to show it to other people, where I have no like unsettling need, you know, to put it out in the world and get it out there. It's just kind of like something I did for fun, right? 
I don't know. It's, it's different this time around for me, I guess. Because mm-hmm. every other time I've written something, it's just like, gotta get it out there, gotta get right. it out there, gotta get it in front of these eyes. This time around, it's just like, well, I don't plan on directing it, so <laughs> what do we do with it? And it's like, all right, it's, a, it's fine. I just, yeah, I'll, I'll post it somewhere and see what happens. Like, that's, that's all that I'll probably do with it. Mm-hmm. Just out of curiosity, just out of brutal curiosity, just see what kind of ratings it gets, what kind of homophobic slurs I get. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there has to be some subreddit for exactly this. Yeah, yeah. There has to be. Or roast me. Or <laughs> <laughs> toast me more like. <laughs> Raise your glasses to the screenplay. Uh, May it live for a thousand years. In development hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, well, so, uh, I feel like now might be the time for some closing thoughts. Uh, do either of you have any, any comments on what comes next? When you want to do another recording, what do you think the next stages look like for you? Next weekend is Labor Day. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything really planned. Yeah. Um, so if you guys want to meet next week, by Jove, I'll have something. Yeah. And I think that, you know, I'm close enough to where I wanted to be that uh, I think that we'd be able to actually read each other's stuff. Yeah, I mean... If, if, if everyone's available, obviously. I kind of feel like, and this is up to you, Silas, but I feel like the... Um, having a finished second draft next Sunday and then getting together for another episode in two weeks would work. Uh, I will not be here in two weeks. Oh, no! I will be here in one week, but I have some family visiting, so cool. so we'll, we'll have to figure that one out. Yeah, it, yeah. it might work out. It might not. But, I, yeah, I feel like in the next one to two weeks, we should send it out, and then the next two to three weeks, we should meet again. Yeah, and give us a week week to live with each other's screenplays, kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. I, I also think, I mean, for me, as soon as I'm done, I'm sending it to people. Nice. I think that's probably the same for you, Peter, yeah. since you've already disappointed so many. People. <laughs> um, and only a couple related to the screenplay. Hey. <laughs> um, no. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that for for me, the next, I'd love to hear what you guys think of the changes, of course. Um, but I think that the next really valuable time for us to meet as a group is is to hear what people said. Yeah. To hear what, what the feedback was. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it would be really nice, I, like when I send it out to people, I want to have a podcast recording date so that I can say to people, here's the screenplay I wrote. I really respect your opinion. I'd love it if you read it. By this I date. will be making changes on this day. Like, yeah. <laughs> I find that that's, that's really helpful for... You know, oh, just read it whenever you get a chance. Versus like, you may read it by the, whenever you want, but no, <laughs> I will only be accepting changes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can figure out the date, you know, some other time. But I think that's a good plan. Mm-hmm. It's just to, you know, maybe just do stuff over email, and yeah. uh, see what we think, and, and then get it out to people, and get it back, and then we sit down and go, oh fuck, I fucked up. <laughs> oh jeez. No. Oh, they told me how bad it was. Oh, oh man. Oh jeez. Oh no. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, cool. So, so why don't we plan on meeting next week, and I'll let you guys know if that'll work or not. Okay. Cool. Great. Sounds good. As as a, a, a sign off, uh, in our hiatus, I was on Twitter and I found Billy Wilder's screenwriting tips. Have you mm. have you heard of this? No. There's it's ten. It's a it's a numbered list of ten things. Um, what I think is fascinating about this list is it's a combination of like 
I think really interesting creative writing stuff, and then like incredibly technical like screenwriting was different back then. Yeah, <laughs> um, can't let a woman talk to another woman. Yeah, <laughs> for more than two seconds. Yeah. Um, so, this, so this is this is Billy Wilder's screenwriting tips. Uh, number one, the audience is fickle. That's the first one. Yeah. <laughs> number two, grab them by the throat and never let them go. Number three, develop a clean line of action for your leading character. Number four, know where you're going. Number five, the more subtle and elegant you are in hiding your plot points, the better you are as a writer. Oh, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thinker. Uh, yeah. Number six, if you have, this is the most famous one, if you have a problem with the third act, the real problem's in the first act. A tip from Ernst Lubitsch. <laughs> uh, let the audience add up two plus two. They'll love you forever. Number eight, in doing voiceovers, be careful not to describe what the audience already sees. Add to what they're seeing. Take that, Blade Runner. <laughs> uh, uh, number nine, the event that occurs at the second act curtain triggers the end of the movie. And finally, number ten, the third act must build, build, build in tempo and action until the last event, and then that's it. Don't hang around. Huh. I thought Speaking that was of don't hang around, what, what a goodbye! goodbye!